the simplest commercial baking resource. Brought to you by Bakerpedia and hosted by Lynn Carson with a PhD in grain sciences. Sharing knowledge and helping you grow connections. Listening to the Baked in Science podcast. Welcome to Baked in Science. I am your host, Dr. Lin from Bakerpedia, the world's largest online resource for technical baking information. Today, I will be interviewing Angela Ikwan and Troy DeSmith. We will be discussing ancient grains like purple barley and friga. What's friga? Well, stay tuned. As you may know, Baked in Science comes free to you because of our sponsors. We would like to thank Arden Mills for sponsoring this podcast. Their sesta grain barley contains the highest fiber content of any commercial available whole grain. To learn more, go to ardenmills.com or call 800-851-9618. Here's Angela. Today, we have Angela Ikwan from the NX at Arden Mills. Welcome, Angela. Thank you, Lynn. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Angela, tell me a little bit about what you do at Arden Mills. You are the technical lead, right? Right. Yep. The NX is a specialty business unit of Arden Mills. About almost two years now, the Arden uh, leadership formed this business unit. This business unit is specialized in specialty grains, one protein-based ingredients that most of our customers are interested in, and we are focused. We have dedicated 15 people in the annex, mm-hmm. focus on the space. I would describe it as an everything that is non-commodity lead. Our team consists of, uh, the in terms of the traders, uh, connection with the farmers, our supply chains, finance team, technical team. Also, we're also responsible for the pipeline innovation of Ardenels as well. Sounds to me like you have a lot of expertise in the grain market. What is the hottest ancient grain that is currently on the market? A lot of ancient grains. I think before I answer that question, I would like to kind of define how we consider. Yeah, let's do that. Within our business, our organization, ancient grains, there are two kind of one is the gluten containing kind of ancient grains, which is kind of the wheat, ancient wheat, heirloom wheat type of products, and also the non gluten products. If you want Pacific, you call it pseudo cereals. Those are kind of the quinoa, the amaranth, buckwheat, and teff, and all those type of products on the non gluten side. What we hear from our customers. Quinoa is still the most sought gluten-free ancient grains, particularly our Colorado quinoa. And besides the nutrition and the pace and the functionality, I think our customers are interested on the sustainability story of our Colorado quinoa. It is grown in the San Luis Valley region of Colorado. Majority of our farmers on that region grows potatoes and barleys, so before the rotation, the crop rotation is from potato to barley to alfalfa, and sometimes they have fallows as well in between. Now they have the opportunity to incorporate quinoa within their rotation. 
So to give a context a little bit in terms of the water usage, the water usage of a quinoa is half of barley. Let's say per acre for growing season, a farmer needs 12.5 inches water, and barley is double that, and potato is close to a little bit higher than barley, and alfalfa is actually double barley and potato. Growing quinoa in that region, actually we help the farmers preserve the Rio Grande aquifer system. Rio Grande is the 18th largest source of groundwater in the nation. So by doing this, we are actually creating more biodiversity in terms of the crop rotation for the area and conserve water. But to the farmers, we offer new market opportunities to them and profitable alternative crop to that region as well. And on the other side, we offer customer consistent supply demand because it's grown in North America versus the South America and also provide sustainability story to the ingredients that we provide. That's great. Can you tell me if quinoa is a grain that is usually grown in the U.S.? Quinoa is grain that typically grown in South America. It's right. That's what I thought. So you guys have made it in a process where it can be grown complementary to other crops in the U.S. Now that's unusual, I thought. So you're saying that in the process of growing potatoes, barleys, alfalfa, you put quinoa in there in the crop rotation and it fits perfectly fine in there? Yeah, if you look back, I think, uh, in the history of quinoa growing in North America, I think it goes back to 1970s. Quinoa is typically grown in South America, Bolivia, Peru, Chile. There was some effort in the North American to grow quinoa in the U.S. and Canada as well. The challenge with quinoa, mm-hmm. as probably you have heard, they are susceptible to high heat, meaning that when they are in the fluorescence stage, they cannot be exposed to temperature above 90 degrees because the seeds become sterile. That's part of the challenge to grow quinoa in the U.S. and North America. We have been working to find the right varieties and also trying to find the right growing region for these varieties in North America. Our farmers that we partner with in San Luis Valley were able to grow quinoa in that area it's in the high elevation growing area and it's a high desert where we can basically, the lines can grow there within the environment. Tell me, why is this grain so nutritious? Lynn, I think you've heard a lot of interest. I think started on the quinoa when FAO declared, I think it's 2014, declaring the quinoa. I may may mistaken the, the year there, but I think they declared like the year of quinoa, and a lot of people are interested on the space, especially is from the plant perspective and protein perspective, right? plant-based nutrition. Quinoa has high protein level. I will not say, yes, when you read a lot of articles and some, some research paper as well, they claim that it's a complete protein. However, I think it depends, again, as you know, any agriculture area, it all depends on where it's grown, the soil and everything else. So I will say it cautiously that protein is not exactly complete protein, but I think it's good quality protein at 
in terms of the level uh, compared to other grains. I think another reason that quinoa is getting gaining popularity is also the gluten-free and diet and people are looking at alternative grains. There's a lot of, if you look at the trend, people travel different places and they are interested in trying different grains and bringing the type of products that they consume at when they are somewhere else outside the U.S. So I think a lot of things are aligned for the interest for the quinoa to be accepted in the U.S. market. Sure, I've seen it recently used in a lot of other products and even popped by itself too. And I think one of the reasons why this grain is so popular too is because of the high protein diet trend that we see. What other food products do you think this particular grain can be used in? Quinoa is very versatile actually. So you can typically people just cook it as a blend of making a pilaf, like incorporated with uh, other grains or incorporating within a salad in the food service kind of setting. But there's, we also produce quinoa crisp, where it's actually being puffed. That can be incorporated in more like a cereal or bar type of forms or even cluster snacks. So you also see quinoa being incorporated in more like a chips product. So you can actually incorporate some of the quinoa in the sheeting for tortilla, uh, making tortillas type of product. You've seen it in pasta as a quinoa flowers incorporating with the wheat, the germ formulation. You've seen also in bread. So you can use it as a topping. People also incorporate a multi-blend type of grain flowers or formulations or baking products. And we also have an IQF quinoa that if someone wants to incorporate, because if you incorporate quinoa seeds within like for a topping or in muffin for someone. Yeah, I was just going to ask about that. It's pretty hard, isn't it? Yes, it is hard. The alternative will be a pre-cooked quinoa, like an IQF kind of quinoa that they can just thaw it and incorporate it in the formulation and bake it. That's interesting. And you guys offer that up too? Correct. Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, sometimes I've been to bakeries where bakers actually soak the grains before they use it in their multi-grain loaves. And sometimes when they soak the grains, they don't give it very long of a soak time, usually about an hour. That really doesn't work because, you know, when you cut up the bread, you see the quinoa grains having white centers, <laughs> not cooked through. So would yeah. IQF be a solution for that? Yeah, because with the IQF process, actually the grain is cooked. And also as with the process that we have, is actually using liquid nitrogen. So uh, quickly frozen compared to the slow freezing kind of point. When you thaw IQF grain, it has less water synthesis of oh. the because where the starch and the molecular level is intact. Interesting. So is it like a free-flowing product then? Correct. Is it just for quinoa or are there other grains that you actually cook in IQF? We have other grains. Right now, I think we have six other grains in, within the IQF portfolio. However, we also work with like our customers because what we want to always offer is a base of grains that are popular that people would like to use, but some customers would like something unique, something different. Now, and we're open to that. So we got a call and they will probably talk to us like, hey, can you do a 
yourself. Yes, we can. I think when something like that, usually we can work as custom kind of product or custom blend, but there's usually a minimum quantity for the batch. We can be flexible. We work with our customers all the time. Interesting. Now, this is a product line I have not seen yet on the market, so it's very exciting. It's great for bakers who want to use whole grains in their multi-grain breads, so that's awesome. Are there any other ancient grain that you would like to talk about? Our portfolio of ancient grains, so I would say in the gluten-contained space, I think we have a unique heirloom wheat. It's called white sonora. It's a white, soft, spring wheat and it has a very good extensibility. Actually, when you look at the historical perspective, Sonora was brought into the U.S. from the Magdalena Mission to Northern Sonora, Mexico. Oh, interesting. This wheat has been grown in that region for 150 years. This product is actually when we evaluated several ancient weeds or elm weeds and we look at their baking and flavors and aromas. I think what's unique about Sonora White is the color and the flavor. In the whole grain form, whole grain flour form of Sonora White, it has a very mild and clean flavor. And the color as well, when you take the whole grain, uh, it doesn't look dark as kind of an other whole grain flours. You take the refined flour form of the white Sonora, it gives you a really buttery, almost yellowish tint of the product. This particular heirloom wheat is used in the past for to make tortilla. So there's a really nice kind of stretchability, extensibility. Now I know why it's called an ancient grain, mainly because it came from a different origin. It is smaller than the regular wheat? Yeah, I think this is, this is very interesting, right? So we have... Even though there's people call it ancient heirloom heritage wheat or grains, there's no definition defining what is heirloom compared to ancient. But I think we are trying to kind of define it and we try to do it scientifically. But again, I'm going to share that and then based on everybody has their own definition. But with our internally, the way we define ancient wheat it's more on kind of the before the Green Revolution. I would say the einkorn, the emerald, corazon, it's the progenitors of heirloom heritage. And, um, and when this is, and then there are some wheat varieties that's domesticated, and then before the Green Revolution, so we call that wheat, the white sonora, turkey red, marquee, or roost bordeaux, those we call heritage wheat varieties. And after the kind of the Norman Borlaug, the Green Revolution, we call the wheat kind of modern wheat varieties. And then there's another kind of evolution from the modern wheat. So I think people are trying to cross the modern wheat and the heirloom wheat to develop certain variety of flavors or distinct unique properties, we call that artisan wheat. So that's internal definition. Okay. So in that essence, do you consider rye an ancient grain? Yeah. You know, rye has existed about kind of the same time as wheat being domesticated, right? So I think rye hasn't had the uptick and the popularity as wheat, right? Uh, because 
of the functionality. Rye doesn't have the properties that gluten has, and it has a certain flavor, strong flavor as well. It's still being used mostly in the northern European countries. It has not been crossed and breeded you know, extensively as wheat. So I would call rye as ancient wheat, yes. Let's talk about a really interesting grain that you have that could give bread a different color. What is that, Angela? So I think you're referring to our nature color barley. So we have barley, three different colors, purple, black, and blue. Actually, the two of them, the uh, out of the three, purple and black, is the color, the pigment is water-soluble. Mm-hmm. So when you try to make bread and you incorporate the purple barley flowers in bread, you can have a slight purplish dough. Again, the challenge with incorporating purple barley, there is a maximum amount yet if you incorporate the purple barley to make a nice loaf bread. So 20-25% will be the maximum you can put in without really dramatically affecting the loaf volume uh, negatively. When you mix the flour, the purple flour, purple barley flour mm-hmm. in the dough, you can actually have a nice light purple loaf bread at the end of the baking. Great. And tell me again, like, what is that purple? Is that a tannin? It's anthocyanin, actually. Okay. And that's beneficial to the health. Yeah. So I think the challenge with calling it the antioxidant uh, properties on the purple barley is, as you know, antioxidant is sensitive with heat. So it depends on the process on the application you may retain or not, no longer have the anthocyanin volume uh, amount within the products, right? So what we noticed is also, I think in the last IFE or two years ago, our chef created purple barley tea. And it's very interesting, as you know, anthocyanin is feed dependent. So if you make it a bit acid, you put a little bit of lemon, you actually have some, uh, a little bit of pink tea color purple barley. Interesting. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's quite an interesting session we had, Angela. We talked about rye, purple barley, sonora wheat, quinoa. That's such a huge array of products from the Annex. I would like to thank you for coming on today and participating as my guest. Thank you. Wonderful. Have a great day. Thank you. Let's take a break for a minute so that I can update you on what's happening at Bakerpedia. We now have live stream seminars where you can live stream in the whole day. Can't travel and be in our seminars? Do you have a computer? Well, live stream in. Check out our upcoming classes at bakerpedia.com forward slash academy. Up next, Troy DeSmith and Frika. Today, we have Troy DeSmith, the CEO and founder of Frika Foods. Hello, Troy. How are you? I'm great, Lynn. How are you? I'm doing well. Welcome to our podcast today. It's really interesting what you're doing at Frika Foods. Can you share with our listeners how did you come up with this concept and what do you sell? The, the concept of Frika is long developed before me. It's been around for thousands of years. 
I've been involved in agriculture for over 30 years and primarily working with wheat. Originally starting my career working in conventional agriculture in 1990 and making the transition to organic agriculture in around 1997-98. Around the year 2010, we learned of Frika and having passion for wheat and a passion for ancient grains and a passion for the processing and production of this product, we set out to discover the ways that we can make the product. And through the relationships that we had developed over the previous 20 years, we're able to work with a couple of folks out of the California area and begin manufacturing the product. I might add, not after it was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that went into making the product. It's a very difficult product to make. It took us well over a dozen times to be able to finally come up with our first batch of organic Frika. That's interesting. So I do know that Frika is an ancient grain, but for those who are new to this particular grain, can you tell them what is so difficult about this grain? Difficult to grow or cultivate? It comes down to the timing, the timing of the actual harvest and then the processing that we used organic durum wheat in the manufacturing of the product. But the timing is critical in producing the best quality, the finest quality Frika in the world. We have approximately two days to cut the plant and then very shortly after the product is cut, it moves through the processing channels. And there are several steps involved in the processing of Frika. Can I please ask, why is there only two days? Why is the window so short? The window is short because of the plant's development. Throughout the growing season, we're very aware of weather patterns, wind patterns, soil conditions, and we cut the plant at a specific stage in the plant's development. It typically goes on, and you know, depending upon the weather, depending upon the heat units, we need to be in the field and ready to capture the plant when the plant is ready to be harvested. Oh, wow. I mean, what happens if you don't capture it within two days? Does it go rancid or what does it do? If we don't capture it during the right or optimal time, we allow that plant to go through and to produce durum wheat, which then is used for semolina and manufacturing pasta. Oh, so Frika is actually durum. Yes, it is. That's not matured. That's correct. <laughs> We're harvesting the plant before the uh, sugars are converted to starch, basically in vegetable form. And once the product is harvested, then it goes through a roasting process okay. and then okay. further processing after that where we're able to clean the product in a 100% solar-powered facility. We're able to crack the grain to the specifications of the customers. So it's a fantastic product for bread manufacturers that want to incorporate a whole grain into their mm -hmm. product. It's also fantastic for flatbreads and for crackers. And it's fantastic in soups, stews, pilafs, and in salads as well. So let me take a few steps back before you go into that. Why are you so mm -hmm. passionate about this grain? Something must have happened that you decide to stop its maturity and process the grain before it turns ripe. How did that came about? Well, I started a company in 2010 called Nature's Organic Grist. Nature's Organic Grist works with emmer and einkorn and other ancient wheats. I sold that company in 2018. But back in 2012, we were looking at differentiating ourselves. And one of the ways that Nature's Organic Risk was able to differentiate itself was to work with 
a product like Frica. There wasn't anybody at That's the time, true. nor yeah. are there currently anybody manufacturing Frica in the United States mechanically. So typically the Frica is harvested in the Middle East, and the way it's harvested is done in a very old traditional way, where the stalks are cut, they're laid on the side of the road, and they're taking a flame torch to the heads of the wheat, and then it's rubbed. Frica means to rub in Arabic. So once that product in the Middle East was flame roasted, they would take the heads of the wheat and they would rub them and then they would collect them and gather all of the kernels and they would move that into a hole in the earth and then they would pick that grain out of that hole and it was meant to bring the grain down but it gives it a very strong and somewhat pungent odor. Our product does not contain any stones whatsoever. In the five years that we've been manufacturing product with the color sorters and the type of equipment that we have, we have never had an incident of stones. Wow. So we're very proud of that, and we're very proud of the quality of the product. Yeah. That's wonderful. Okay. You know, the process, after you cut it, you process it, and then you obviously grind it down into a flour form. Is that right? How do bakers usually use it? In what form? It's stored in whole grain form in a temperature-controlled silo. And we batch process the product according to the customer specifications oh, okay. and the customer's needs. But the product, it's stored in whole grain form. We crack according to specification, and we're also able to mill according to specification as well. Oh, okay. And currently, what is the final form that we can buy and try? Sure, it can be used in many different ways, Lynn. We are able to produce it in, and manufacture a flour with it, which is, mm -hmm. like I said earlier, it's very good in flatbreads and in crackers. But commonly it's used for soups, as an additive in soups, in stews, pilafs, and by itself. The product takes on a flavor that you give it. It's a high-protein, high-fiber product. We're big believers here in plant-based protein. But that's commonly how it's used is, in, is really in soups, stews, pilafs, and salads. It's fantastic grain for salads because of its nutty flavor and its uh -huh. chewy texture. I heard there are some nutrition advantages to Frika versus the regular wheat. Well, yes, there are. The product is high in resistant starch. It's high in protein and it's higher in fiber. It's also high in manganese, which is fantastic for athletes for water reabsorption. So as a substitute for rice, it works very well. Frica maintains its tooth when you're eating it, and it cooks just like rice. If you're to make a pound of it and to take a cup at a time, it will keep in your refrigerator for a week at a time, and it will maintain that same tooth, unlike wow. a rice or a quinoa, which can be kind of mealy and starchy. Right. Where can our listeners obtain these samples? The listeners can go to our website, which is frika-foods.com, and frika is spelled F-R-E-E-K-E-H-foods.com. We're also on Amazon, and you're able to find us in Whole Foods and Sprouts and other grocery stores, other natural food stores nationwide. So I'm going to ask a little more of a technical question, and you may or may not be able to answer this, but that's okay. In terms of using it in flour and dough, do you know if there is any effect of this grain in dough products? I don't have any experience with that, Lynn. 
Okay. My original thought is that it probably would act like rice and not contribute much to functionality of the dough, and probably won't affect the water absorption as much as well. I can tell you, we have used this in manufacturing pasta, and it typically works well when it's used at about 30%, 30% frica flour to 70% semolina. Oh, it's okay. a very unique flour from the standpoint that what we have found is that there are zero wet gluten. So the wet gluten, there is none. We have found also that the following numbers will rise above 300. So it's a unique product from a baker's standpoint. And I think the applications and the opportunity for experimentation with bakers is certainly something that's worth the effort. Great. Now, have you ever tried it in crackers? I have. Yeah. What does it, it look it like? Great cracker, yeah. yeah. Is it really it looks crispy? Like a, like a common cracker. Yeah, it's crispy. And again, Frika in a lot of ways will take on the flavor you give it. I'm a savory person, so the tomato, the basil, rosemary, and sage, some of these flavors really come out nice with that nutty and chewy texture. Well, let me tell you, when I first read about this grain, I thought it had a lot of potential, mainly from the nutritional aspect of it. How has the public received this? What is the usual response when they try something with Frika? When we have exhibited and we have provided it for customers, we've received tremendous feedback. Many times they'll come back for seconds and thirds. People really do enjoy the product because it's so easy to cook and because it's a hearty and because it's a high fiber food and a low glycemic food, it tends to stay with you while you don't feel full. It carries your energy throughout the afternoon. We also eat it for breakfast and it's fantastic with yogurt and honey as well. You mean like so oatmeal? It's, it, that, it's that texture <laughs> that we Oh, okay. You put it into like, like a oatmeal. parfait? It can oh. be, it can, yeah, exactly. Like a parfait. Oh, interesting. There's so many applications for this. How's the shelf life in terms of storage in its dry form? Is it the same as, say, a quinoa or a wheat grain? Well, I'm not familiar with quinoa and how it stores and how long it's stored, but having worked in agriculture for 25 plus years, I've worked with farmers who have had their durum wheat in bins for five to 10 years. We don't typically like to keep it in storage for that long. I can tell you that over a two-year period, it does maintain its quality exceptionally well. And because of the, the, the processing that it goes through and the facility that we work with, we're very, very comfortable in at least a one-year shelf life. Wow. That's longer than I thought. I thought maybe if the baker couldn't get to it in three months, they can still use it in four months. <laughs> when it's being milled and we're producing the flowers like an emmer or an einkorn, typically when it's milled into flour, it should be going into production or into cold or freezer storage shortly after. Some of the oils in the bran of these kernels can go rancid if it's stored at room temperature. Oh, okay. So extended storage is suggested or preferred in a cooler situation. Yeah, especially what's in flour. Our product is stored in a dry, cool environment, and we maintain the quality and watch that very closely. All right, Troy, it's time to wrap up about Frika. Thank you so much for teaching me 
and our listeners how frica is different from other grains. Is there anything else you would like to say about frica? Yeah, frica is a family employee and farmer owned company. We produce our product in 100% renewable energy using solar power. Mm-hmm. And we're very excited about it because of its drought tolerance. It requires about 30% less water wow. uh, than to manufacture or to grow wheat. We believe we're, we're doing good for the earth and we're doing good for people. All right. I always love the sustainability stories. It's just great as a marketing tool when your customer uses this product from you. Thank you so much for coming onto my show today. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you. This podcast was made possible by our sponsor, Arden Mills. Looking for ancient and heirloom grains? With the Annex by Arden Mills, it's never been easier to secure specialty grains in such practical, functional forms. From quinoa to barley, they are a single-point supplier and a full-service product development partner all-in-one. To learn more, go to ardentmills.com or call 800-851-9618. And before I go, please like, comment, and subscribe to Baked Insights. Till the next episode, bakers, don't forget the ancient grains! (laughs) 